We make commitments in our lives in lots of areas. Uh, commitments to our spouses uh, when we get married. Commitments to our work. Commitments to family. It's a part of our lives. Luke has been showing us who Jesus is as we walked through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been seeing things revealed about our Savior. Uh, we're continuing on in that sermon series. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. I've titled my sermon, Jesus, the Savior Worthy of Our Complete Devotion. Jesus, the Savior Worthy of Our Complete Devotion. And so as we look at our text today, we're going to look at it from that uh, lens of devotion as we uh, see again who Jesus is and are reminded again from the text who our Savior is, uh, we are going to examine that in our commitment to Him, our devotion to Him. So I'm going to read the text, Luke 9, 18-27, and then pray for us. Luke chapter 9, verse 18, While He was praying in private... And his disciples with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned them and instructed them to tell no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised, and be raised on the third day. Then he said to all of them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me, will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. As we do each week, we confess it is true. Help us believe it and help us be shaped by it. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, work in our minds. Help us respond as you are calling us to God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first thing from this text I want us to see is this. Devotion to Jesus is a personal commitment. Devotion to Jesus is a personal commitment. Let's look at those first few verses. So if you remember, if you were here last week, uh, we saw the feeding of 5,000. Uh, Jesus revealing again that who He is, right? This is the Lord who provides for all of our needs. And so... Coming off of that, we have Jesus praying and then asking the disciples about what people are saying about him. Verse 18, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, 
he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. So the question of who Jesus is has been brought up many times throughout the Gospel of Luke, right? And that's the the purpose that Luke's been writing. We've we've discussed that. Uh, He wants to uh, give the detailed accounts of this is who Jesus Christ is. This is what he has done. And we've seen multiple times people asking, who is this? Right? So the Pharisees, uh, when the paralytic was told, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees asked the question, who is this man who speaks these kind of blasphemies? Only God can forgive sins. Later on, we saw as the disciples were out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and the, the waves are crashing around and they are in danger of losing their lives and they cry out to Jesus and Jesus calms the storm with a word. And the disciples asked, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then as, as Jesus sent out His twelve disciples, empowered with the Spirit to do the work of ministry that He has for them, and word starts to spread as people are healing in the name of Jesus, and they're teaching about the kingdom of God. We even see Herod the Tetrarch, the leader, the political leader, asking, who is this man that I'm hearing so many things about? All of these things... And so here in verse 18, Jesus praying in private, a common practice, him pulling away and praying, and he decides to ask his disciples about what it is people are saying about him. He starts with, who do the crowds, who do do the masses say that I am? And in verse 19, we see there are mixed responses. They're the same responses that were being passed around when Herod asked the question, who is it that I'm hearing all of these things about? So they recognize that Jesus is sent by God, but they miss who He truly is. Some think maybe John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Maybe Elijah has come back. Maybe one of the other Old Testament prophets has been risen again to come and send some kind of message to God's people. So they recognize something miraculous has taken place, or is taking place. God's doing something, but they're missing the reality of who Jesus is. They don't see correctly the true identity. And so in verse 20, Jesus now makes it personal, right? Uh, okay, that's, that's who everyone else says. That's who the crowds say. But here's the important question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Speaking to his closest disciples, what have you decided about me? Right? So, what your friends say, what the crowds say, what the political leaders say about who I am has no impact on you personally. Who do you 
say that I am? And Peter's reply, replying for the group, is, You're God's Messiah. You're the promised one. Right? So, speaking of him in terms of the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the, the promised ruler who was going to come, the nation of Israel, holding on to the promise that one day God was going to send a leader that would represent God more perfect than any other leader that they've seen, that there was going to be a person from God who was going to rule here in the world. And so Peter says, you're the anointed one. You're the promised one that we've all been waiting for. You're the the one that's going to deliver us. Deliver us from our own brokenness and deliver us from the brokenness of the political systems of this world. We've been waiting for you. And the question, of course, is still a personal question for us today. Who do we say that Jesus is? What your friends say about Him. What your family says about Him. What the pastor says about Him does not have an impact on you. The question is, what have you decided about this man, Jesus? Do you believe that He's God's Son Do you believe that He lived perfectly and then died in your place for your sins? And then on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. Do you believe that He's the only hope that you have for forgiveness? These are the truths that Scripture teaches that we hold to here about Jesus Christ. And in Romans, we see... These words from Paul, Romans 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a personal commitment. What have you decided? What is it that you believe about Jesus Christ? If you believe what Scripture teaches about Him that He's God's Son, that He died for your sins and rose on the third day. If you confess that, believe that in your heart, Paul says you will be saved. You will be forgiven for your sins. So today, let's ask ourselves again, whether you've been asked or reminded of what it is you believe for decades, or you're just now trying to figure out what it is that you believe, Answer the question, who is Jesus? Let's all ask ourselves. And if you don't have an answer, or if you've decided that He must be something other than what the Bible teaches about Him, that maybe He's a good teacher, or uh, you know, maybe He did some really amazing things, but He's not really what Scripture teaches, we ask that you consider that What we speak about our Savior really is true. And what you decide about Him has eternal consequences. And if you want to know more about the Savior, 
that we cling to. If you want to know more about Jesus Christ, please schedule a time to speak with me or one of our elders. We would love to talk with you more, share more about the good news of the gospel and the hope that we have because of Jesus. But of course, this isn't just a a message for unbelievers. It's a message for even if you've been walking with Jesus for decades, it's important to be reminded What is it that I've decided about Him? What is it that I truly believe about Him? And so ask yourself that question today. Who is Jesus? What do I believe about Him? What do I confess about Him? Share that with someone. Share that with with your spouse or your children. This is who I believe. This is who I've put my hope in. This is what I believe Scripture teaches about Jesus Christ. Devotion to Jesus is a personal commitment. The second thing I want us to see is this. Devotion to Jesus means putting our hope in a suffering Savior. Devotion to Jesus means putting our hope in a suffering Savior. Back in Luke 9, verse 21 and 22. So Peter has confessed that Jesus is the promised one. He's the Messiah The one that's coming to set things right again. Verse 21, But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. So Peter's confession about God, he, Jesus is God's Messiah. That is true. However, Jesus is going to provide them with some information that is a little confusing compared to what they're thinking of. Right? First off, he says, don't tell anyone that this is the case. Which doesn't make much sense from a worldly standpoint. If the promised leader, the one who is sent by God, who's going to restore things the way that they should be, has come... Why wouldn't you want to shout that news out to everyone? And Jesus says, don't tell anyone this. Not because it's not true, it's true. However, Jesus' time has not come yet to rule in that sense of what they're thinking along terms of the coming Messiah. Because Scripture also teaches about a suffering servant that was to come. The one that was to come that would suffer for God's people so that God's people could be healed, so that God's people could be forgiven, so that God's people could be restored. And he says, don't tell anyone because my my time hasn't come for that yet. And he goes on to let them know before that happens, he's going to suffer in a lot of ways. And he will ultimately be rejected by the nation. The leaders of the nation, the people of the nation are going to reject him and kill him. He will die. And then he says, but on the third day, I will rise. I will come back to life. But these words are disorienting. These words don't make sense, right? They, They see him as the promised Messiah. What in the world is he talking about being rejected And then dying, he wants them to know that if you're putting your hope in me, 
you're putting your hope in a suffering Savior. Right? For the disciples, the idea of following the Messiah, coming alongside the promised Messiah, could offer a lot of benefits, right? He's the one who's coming to rule. He's the promised King that's going to set everything right. So if we are with Him, think of the benefits that can come along from that, right? They would be in a powerful position following the promised ruler if they stick by his side. And Jesus says, don't put your hope in the wrong thing right now, right? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. This is going to happen. He knew it, and it was part of the plan that God had from the foundations of the world, from before the foundations of the world. To redeem lost humanity. And he says, these things are going to happen first. I will suffer and die. And so we learn that that may be disorienting. That that may mean that that doesn't line up with what we would expect from the promised rescuer. But it's because he's going to suffer and die in our place that we actually do have hope. If he doesn't suffer and die in our place, there is no hope for us. Romans 5. I think we looked at this passage for our Good Friday service. Romans 5, verse 6 through 10. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? While we were... Look at the descriptions in that passage. While we were helpless, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, God proved how much He loved us by sending His Son to die for us. And then Paul in this passage goes on to say, that's how we have hope. We don't have to worry if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry if we're going to be saved in the end. We don't have to worry if God is going to truly rescue us in the end. Because God sent His Son to die for us while we were completely at odds with God. So now that He's restored us to Himself, now that He's rescued us, Now that we've been redeemed and reconciled through the death of His Son, we can rest assured that we will be saved in the end. It's because of the death of Jesus that we can have hope. And without the death of Jesus, there is no hope for us. We cannot do anything on our own to make ourselves right with God. We cannot do anything on our own to be forgiven. 
We can only cling to Jesus. Now, we're looking at it after the cross, right? So we see God's plan unfolding more than what Peter and the disciples were seeing at the time. So it's, we can understand it a little more clearly to see that, oh, He had to suffer and die for us so that we could be forgiven. But today, the reality is we can be tempted to put our hope in Jesus for the wrong reasons. Still, even knowing that Jesus had to suffer for us. And so what I want us to do is hold on to the hope that we have because of Jesus dying on the cross for us. Right? Cling to the reality that Jesus died for your sins. And since that happened, you actually do have hope in this world. You can have an assurance, you do have an assurance of salvation if you have put your faith in Him. And of course, if you haven't believed in Him, if you haven't come to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He truly is the Lord... You can come to Him today. You can trust in Him today. You can put your hope in Him today. And God's Word says you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You can receive the hope that we proclaim here because of Jesus Christ. The third thing I want us to see from this text is this. Devotion to Jesus requires self-denial. Devotion to Jesus requires self-denial. So we have a little bit of another shocking statement. First, yes, I'm the promised Messiah. Don't tell anyone because first I have to suffer and die. And then here's another kind of shocking statement. Luke 9, verse 23, Then He said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in His glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So the shocking statement is, if you want to follow Jesus, it's an act of self-denial. Dying to self, taking up your cross, an instrument of pain, an instrument of suffering, an instrument of shame. And he doesn't say once in a while. He doesn't say occasionally, this is what will be asked of you. It's a daily task. Devotion to Jesus is a daily task of denying ourselves, of dying to ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, in reflection on these passages and passages like this of what Jesus is saying, take up your cross. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. 
verse 24, Jesus then says, trying to hold on to this life, living for this life, will actually result in you losing life. But if you lose your life for Him, in devotion to Him, then you will truly find real life. Now, our world and our sinful hearts push against this, right? The idea of denying things about ourselves, dying to ourselves, that is not part of our world. And that's not how our sinful hearts think of things, right? We are told and we want to believe that we should do what makes our hearts happy, that you should, you do you, live life on your terms. And Jesus goes on to say uh, what that kind of life actually uh, looks like. Verse 26, or he at least challenges the thought of that kind of life, of trying to benefit yourself and gain things in this world for yourself. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my... I'm sorry, verse 25. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? What good is it if you get every pleasure that this world has to offer, every joy that this, has, this world has to offer, every treasure that this world has to offer, what will that benefit you if you forfeit yourself, if you lose yourself, if you don't have the true treasure, which is Jesus Christ? And of course, the answer is not there. It's implied. It's no benefit at all. No matter what we can receive from this world, if we do not have Christ... It is a loss. It is a complete loss. In verse 26, he says, there's judgment for rejecting me. No, the language there says like shame, right? If you are ashamed of me, if someone is ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of him when I come. But that's pointing to the judgment. Rejection of Jesus does result in judgment against you. And eternal judgment if you never accept Jesus. Eternal separation from God in hell. And then in verse 27, uh, the statement's likely referencing the transfiguration, which we're going to look at next week in next week's passage. Uh, he says, you know, that some of you who are standing here, you won't die until you see the kingdom of God. Uh, and it's likely talking about when uh, Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them and they get to see this glimpse of Jesus coming in the in a, a revelation of the, the kingdom of God that's to come. But what did it take for them to see that? It took a life of self-denial, a commitment to the Savior that's going to cost them. Willingness to lose life in order to receive the greater, the greater treasure that is found in Jesus Christ. And this is how Paul lived. If you were here when we studied the book of Philippians, we saw Paul's heart, right? And so in Philippians 1... 
verse 20 and 21, we see these words. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Devoted to Jesus. Paul was sold out for his Savior, right? Uh, This was a life of self-denial. And so saying this, he's saying, each moment that I'm living, each day that I live, I'm living it for Jesus Christ. And he knows because of that, because of what his Savior has accomplished, whenever he dies, whether that's soon or whether he has a long life, whenever he dies, he will have the greatest of all gains because he will be in the presence of his Savior. A life of self-denial. And countless Christians over 2,000 years have embraced this life. A life of, of giving it all up in order to receive the treasure that is found in Jesus Christ. At the age of 22, Jim Elliot wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And this was not just something that he wrote down that sounded good. He actually lived it. Because about six years later, Elliot and several other missionaries were killed by the the tribe of Indians in Ecuador, the native tribe in Ecuador that they were trying to reach with the good news of the gospel. They were killed in trying to reach out to them. Jim Elliot and those other men lived this out that we can we can lose this life. And it's okay. It's not foolish to lose this life for Jesus because we're going to gain the greatest of war of rewards in our savior. Now we're tempted today just like people have been all along, to think of our relationship with Christ uh, in terms of the benefit that we get. We kind of think of Him just as an add-on for the added benefit. Uh, He's our get-out-of-hell-free card, right? So I've, I've trusted in Him. Now I can go about my life day in and day out, and I know that it come the end, I'm going to be saved, Or we think of Him as the added benefit of, well, when things get really hard, I can cry out to Him and I know that He'll be there for me. And those things are true if we have a real relationship with Jesus. But our relationship with Jesus should not just be, what's the added benefit that I get out of this? Let's examine ourselves this week. Are we living fully devoted to Jesus? Are we living a life of self-denial? Or do we have a relationship with Jesus that is, I pick it up every once in a while. I'm reminded about it every once in a while, but I'm pretty much just living my life for myself, for my family, for the joys that this world has to offer. 
there are areas that we are not fully devoted to our Savior. And it's time to devote ourselves again fully to Him. The, the call to come to Him is a call of self-denial. Devotion to Jesus does require us to die to ourselves, to quit living for ourselves and instead to live for Him. Not to earn anything from Him, but in response to Him. Jesus Christ gave up His life for us. And now we have the opportunity to give up our lives in service to Him. Are we devoted to Jesus? Can you say, first and foremost, can you say that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins? Have you confessed Him as your Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, that's the most important thing, is to believe that this is true. And if you will believe, you will be saved. And so if you have not trusted in Him, if you're still trying to figure out what it is that you believe about Jesus, please schedule a time to talk with me. And let me share more about the Gospel and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. And you will receive hope if you'll believe in Him. But church, let's also remember about our commitment to Jesus. Right? This is a personal commitment. Let's cling to the sacrifice that He's made for us. The only reason we have hope, church, is because Jesus suffered and died for us. And let's daily, through the power of the Spirit, deny ourselves and live a life of obedience to Him because He is worth it. He truly is the Savior who is worthy of our complete devotion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the ways that we cling to the things that this world has to offer instead of denying ourselves and following Jesus. Continue to shape us into the people that you desire us to be. Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying for us so that we could be forgiven. Help us believe. Holy Spirit, if there are any who have not trusted in Christ today, Stir in their hearts the desire to learn more about the sacrifice that Jesus made. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe the good news of the gospel today, God. And God, please keep working on your church for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.